The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. They were the heroes from the future. Teenagers protecting the universe from those that would sow the seeds of chaos. Each had unique powers and abilities. And though they often had their differences, they came together to save the day as the Legion of Superheroes. Now you can be a part of their adventures and learn the history of the future in the Legion Clubhouse. All the advancements that the Legion of Superheroes have made are about to be undone in one issue. Superboy number 222. This Legionnaire is Condemned. Published December 1976. Written by Carrie Bates with art by Mike Grell. Synopsis. Is Tyrock a traitor to the Legion? Uh, I gotta say... Matthew, Superboy 222, The Legionnaire is Condemned. Mm-hmm. Kind of boring. It's... I'm not exactly sure how to take it, because it's pure Carrie Bates. It's a story that's... The first part, anyway. This uh, Legionnaire is Condemned is pure Carrie Bates, and it's a story that doesn't really need to exist because it's so convoluted from the very beginning yes i mean in the very first pages we find that terrible things are happening and that tyrock's vocal powers seem to be at the root of it and from that point we then work backwards to figure out what's actually happening what's really going on in these pages and it's just it seems uh, inordinately complicated for no real reason yeah so, I, don't know. I guess from the very first page, the first thing I notice is that uh, Tyrock is bound and being let out and people are throwing rocks. And at least it's a it's a black person throwing a rock at Tyrock instead of a white person. It feels like this opening page is a throwback to when the Legion were on. Uh, what is what is his island? Maslar? Marzal. Marzal. I got the letters just in the wrong order. Yeah. It kind of feels like a throwback to that moment. So we're flipping it around. Uh, I think uh, people still need to keep in mind that even though the Civil Rights Act of 1968 was already passed at this time and almost a decade old, there's mm-hmm. still a lot of racial unrest and tension that's going on in the 70s that that this is bad. We've talked before about the introduction of black characters into comic books and how important that is. Uh, but then to, you know, as you get into the first couple of pages of this and as you're led down MacGuffin Lane... <laughs> the idea that, oh, the black guy is the bad guy in this story mm-hmm. it doesn't really sit right uh, with me for some for some reason. Well, part of it is the fact that, uh, and again, the story is being told out of order, anachronistically, for whatever reason. It seems like from the immediately, like two issues into his appearance as a legionnaire, they don't trust him. They're already like, yep. Tyrock didn't want to be one of our people and he's he's clearly the problem and I thought he was unstable all along and it just it feels 
I, it feels like they didn't think through the implications of it. The intention here, and you can actually see it throughout the issue, the intention here is to go, okay, perfectly normal. There's a legionnaire among us, and this legionnaire is a black guy, and that's fine. And I kind of feel that, but it's it. you get to the point where for the first time in the history of the book, we see bystanders. Uh, we see people, you know, throwing rocks and chanting against him. And we see a member of the science police who are people of color for the first time in the history of the book, which is great. But it's also the thing that kind of stands out that the legionnaires immediately mistrust him. Mm -hmm. I mean, they have mistrusted him. He had, granted, he had a rough start because he came in as the guy who hated the legion. But to have them immediately go, yeah, we don't trust this guy. There's something wrong with him. There has been all along. It just feels like they're not thinking, once again, not thinking through the unfortunate implications of the story that they're putting together. Yeah, and of course, it all becomes undone at the end because we discover that there is a bomb hidden somewhere in the city of Metropolis. You know, the whole yep. city that is, runs up and down the east coast of the United States. There's a bomb yes. somewhere in the city. And if they go after it or they look like they're looking for it, the the mad bomber will go ahead and trigger the bomb. Right. So this whole thing is an elaborate Shrek on the part of the Legion playing into the new guy status of Tyrock and the distrust of Tyrock and Marzal Island to try and drag out one Fenton Pike. And you say to yourself, what a strange name for a supervillain. And I agree with you. Fenton Pike who actually works at the science police headquarters as the janitor, as a janitor has yeah. secretly has secretly placed a bomb somewhere in the world. And I guess, I mean, yeah, it's kind so of, so cool I'm not really, I'm not really clear because I could have swore that it said if, if, if Tyrock is found, you know, using his powers to search for the bomb, the guy would trigger it. And yet that's clearly what they're doing this entire time. So I'm, yeah. I'm really confused in, you know, the whole, I don't know, this is very, it's convoluted. It's a stretch to get where we're getting to in this story, yeah. uh, to make the, the black character look like a bad guy, but then turn out to be a good guy is also mm -hmm. kind of ridiculous. And I think the thing that is probably the most troubling, uh, maybe the most confusing part of this issue is what the heck are Tyrock's powers anyway? I just thought he emitted different <laughs> sounds like he could... He could uh, pinpoint a whisper at 100 yards, or he could make a, a sonic shriek that could bust glass or knock bad guys down. But apparently, you know, he can do one of his, uh, one of his cries, and he can mm -hmm. make sticky stuff fall from the sky. I don't know what the sticky stuff is, but... And we're not asking go. either. I guess not. And, I, and apparently he can make vines suddenly appear any time that he is near. Yep. Anything that you can do, Tyrock can do. And... That's part of the problem with this issue is his powers are super ill-defined. But in this issue, we see some of his screams and one of them is spelled. And I, I am now quoting you. I, you, you, I, E, 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 which yeah, is what's that? Oh, you, 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 you. What, what is that song? Jungle love. I think that's, that's the song. Tarzan boy. Is that what the name of that song is? But then the second one is spelled I R R R R R W W, which is pronounced. Ur it's like they're trying to make his powers seem silly. And it's weird to me that this story comes across like that because it's written by Tyrock's creator. This Maybe he just doesn't like Tyrock. Maybe he doesn't like Tyrock. 
I don't know. Um, I, I, I feel like there's evidence for that because, you know, Mike Grell came out and said, I don't like Tyrock. Oh, really? I intentionally tried to make him look as silly as possible. Mm. Why did, why does he, he not like, why does he not like Tyrock? He felt that, uh, the origin and the, the whole, uh, black separatist thing oh, okay. to Marzal was offensive. And he just wanted to just, you know, bring in people, have people of color in the Legion and not over explain it. But mm-hmm. the editor insisted that they had to have an explanation for why we'd never seen them before. And I get it. I actually agree with Grell that the explanation is the worst part of Tyrock. But this whole story feels wrong. I mean, the Legion falsifies evidence to the science police to free Tyrock as part of their scam. And then it comes to the whole question at the end where you're like, oh, well, he was never really guilty at all. Everything's okay. And now he's totally going to be one of us. Tyrock is not yeah, going so, to appear for another 17 issues after this. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering, you know, this, you, they have to keep the police in the dark as, as to what they're doing. So maybe all the stuff, you know, that they're talking to the science police at the beginning saying, oh, yeah, that Tyrock guy was... <laughs> was, uh, you know, we didn't trust him from the moment he stepped in the door and then mm-hmm. falsifying the police evidence with this uh, digital uh, recorder that they have and then, you know, framing some other guy who turns out to be chameleon boy in disguise. Maybe that's all part of the ruse that they have to do so that word doesn't get around police headquarters because they do say that we know that the Mad Bomber is a police officer. So maybe by doing all this, they're keeping the police off their hands. They do say that they had permission the mayor had given them permission to do this so that they could find the bomb which was in a globe on top of a building so right and if that is the case i feel like the story doesn't do a good job of presenting that. no it was really presented in a way that was confusing at best i think mm-hmm. um i don't know if there is a lot of and, and there's not really there's a lot of this that doesn't make a lot of sense uh mm-hmm. and i think that there are parts in this that make you believe one thing when actually, and again, this is the fallacy of the intent of the writer. Uh, my right. belief is that the intent, the writer intended to say one thing, but even his own characters are confused as to what's going on. Because at one point, uh, Shadow Lass is like, but wait, I thought Tyrock was the bad guy. So are they even keeping their own members in the dark <laughs> while they're all out looking for a bomb? That doesn't make a lot of sense. It doesn't. And you know, there are a couple of other things in this story that make me think that maybe Carrie wasn't planning I mean, this, is, this is his last story. This is his last issue, right? This is Carrie's last Legion story. Yeah, uh, The Flash, which is his other uh, book that he was writing at this point, went monthly in 76. And so ah, okay. uh, Carrie is leaving the Legion. This is his last issue. And this story begins with the, the customary roll call. You notice it doesn't mention Projectra, who's all over the story. It does mention Cosmic Boy, who's barely in the issue. I think he's in one panel at the very beginning. So I'm kind of wondering, was Carrie just kind of overworked or running by the seat of his pants or doing you know, the whole thing where I've, I've got this cool thing, I've got this hook, and I want to build a story around it but then never actually making that hook into anything. And, you know, we talked about recently about the movie Memento and how if you play Memento in chronological order, Mm -hmm. it's just a mean guy doing mean things to a disabled man. Yeah. That's kind of this story, because if you break this story down, it's really just a straightforward, oh, something's going on and there's, you know, 
a guy and we have to go and track him down and we track him down by being tricksy. So, yeah, I understand why Carrie did what he did, but I think that the fact that the story ends as strangely as it does, even now, yep, we totally figured it out. And here's two and a half pages of exposition to explain to you the things that you didn't see. So what I'm just curious, what else is Carrie Bates working on besides this issue and The Flash? I believe Carrie was writing, oh gosh, at this point in time, Justice League, or about to take over Justice League. I'm just uh, curious Carrie, because I'm guessing, is he a full-time person with DC? Because oh yeah, if he, was only, the, if he was only doing one book a month for the publisher, man, what a cushy job. No, he was doing more than that. Remember, when we were doing the action comics backups, he was doing all of the lead stories there. I want to say that Carrie's 70s output definitely includes some Superman, definitely includes Justice League. Um, and I know that it, he had the Flash because the Flash gets really weird and really Carrie Batesy for a while there in the 150s into the 200s. Mm -hmm. All right. So at this point, he would be doing Superman. Mm -hmm. uh, he had just finished the first Supergirl series. Uh, he, uh, this is his last issue of Superboy and the Legion. He is doing uh, Justice League of America as well as Superman at this point in time. So, yeah, he's got several different things. But when the Flash went full time, it meant that he felt like he had to give up the Legion. So, mm. Okay, well, uh, probably not the strongest story to go out on unless he's coming back around like Jim Shooter does. He doesn't, no. Carrie does not come back to the Legion. And it's it's actually kind of weird because this story just, you know, Sort of happens. Yeah, just sort of happens. Kind of like the uh, the second. This is one of those two-issue, uh, two-story issues. Death of a Legend. Published December 1976. Written by Jim Shooter with art by Michael Netzler. Synopsis. A legendary hero has a legendary secret. And we introduce Questar and the Legion of Superheroes. Hi, I'm Prince Adam, but when I hold up my mighty sword, I have the power of Questar. He has a better haircut. Um, yes, this introduces Questar, who is an incredible legend that even Superboy admires and is so well regarded throughout the universe that this is the first we've heard of him. Yeah. Oh, no. Uh, Superboy is a huge fan of all of mm -hmm. his movies. He's got mm -hmm. all of the uh, the videotapes of his adventures, you know, ripping off monster heads and making out with the ladies and uh, oh, doing that cool yeah. disco move in, in uh, movie number three. <laughs> uh, but I got to say, Questar has a lame costume. I mean, he has tassels on the wrists. I actually kind of I like figured it. you would. That's why I know that this is lame. Shut up. The tassels are kind of interesting. I really enjoy the fact that he doesn't have traditional trunks. There's like a red portion of his costume that includes trunks and then comes up in almost like a not quite a corsety fashion with a belt through it. It reminds me a little bit of the Silver Age Adam, the way it breaks down, which is kind of neat. Yeah, tassels are lame. It intentionally looks a little bit like Superboy as well to give us that, you know, red and blue caped kind of square jawed thing. So you immediately respond with, ooh, what's this guy's story? Yeah, why has he got tassels? Lame. Stop. Anyway, the Legion have been uh, called to this mysterious planet to, uh, to for Questar Day. Apparently it's Questar Day. Mm -hmm. Even though the Earth has never been part of any of these Questar Days, never heard of this planet. 
but apparently everyone's heard of Questar. Sure. They go down there, and of course Questar shows up, and uh, then all of a sudden this monster shows up, and everyone says, oh no, it's the every 10 years monster, which is weird <laughs> because he shows up every eight years. <laughs> but they still, I guess you round up. And so he's the every 10 years monster is drawn into the attack. And suddenly we realize Questar isn't really a superhero at all. He is just, I'm just a writer. And, and I take all these uh, hollow projections and put them on tape and sell them to the kiddies. I'm really just a scaredy boy. Go charge Legion. Go take down the, the every 10 years <laughs> monster. Yep. And, but it's important to note that there are a couple of reasons why the Legionnaires are out of their element on planet uh, Ven Ventor 5. Um, first of all, uh, since they have Questar, the Legion is seldom called there. But secondly, it's under an orange sun. Which oh, means, an orange sun, you say? Yeah, Kryptonians only have half their power under an orange sun. Oh. It's not quite red. It's a good thing they brought all of those other heroes with them. Yes. Your Timberwolf and your Light Lass, who, by the way, is it, her name is misspelled throughout this story. Uh, Ayla's name, A-Y-L-A, is spelled Alia, or Alia, as in Alia Legionnaires probably are acting really weird because of this strange planet. Alia Legionnaires, Alia Legionnaires, Alia Legionnaires, Alia Legionnaires. Get your rings up. Okay. Meanwhile, uh, back in the actual story... The they every 10 up... years monster is nigh uh, undefeatable. But he vanishes. Well, Superboy does kick him in the back of the head, and that would make me vanish too. Well, yeah, when Superboy kicks you in the back of the head, likely your head is going to just, you know, turn into a fine red mist. But Questar teleports him to a distant asteroid. <laughs> because apparently Questar had powers all along, he just doesn't use them. And then all the uh, people that admire Questar are like, Questar is fake. We know, we know, love fake Questar. We love Legion. And Superboy's like, hey, let's have none of that. Look at how he's protected you all these years and produced such fine movies. And they're like, and okay. And if I hadn't used the method from his tapes, I might have been killed. Ha ha. Okay. We will, we will acknowledge Questar and make him our hero uh, forever. Hooray. By the name, that by the way, my name is Gladhander. <laughs> and I have a moon accent. I talk like this because I am from the moon. I mean, they really have weird dialogue for those people. The man's name is Gladhander. That's what I, I said. Mean... The guy's name is Gladhander. Now, they do have some weirdness going on with their their babelfish that they, that they stick in their ears. Mm -hmm. uh, and they try to blame a lot of the miscommunication on that. Right. But I think it's, uh, hey, we got four pages or we need to fill. Jim Shooter, quick fire off something. <laughs> I mean, by shooter standards, this is disappointing. By Legion standards, these six pages are just on the downside of average. I mean, it's an interesting kind of trick. And, you know, it's a very Jim Shooter kind of trick where you're like, oh, something is wrong all along. It's almost a Carrie Bates story, except we know that Carrie Bates is gone and won't be back. So I feel like the Questar story is fascinating for me. Because, A, they set this whole thing up, this guy who's legendary that everybody knows and has known mm -hmm. for years. Mm -hmm. And at the end, they end with setting him up to be a hero who will be honored. And he's never heard from again. Well, no, because he's too busy making his movies and his entertainments and stuff. Questar 7, The Quest for Peace. Yes. Questar uh, 8, Questar Takes Manhattan. 
Uh, so Michael Netzer, uh, is this one of the first times we see him doing the the art for Legion? Yes, I and, think this is his one of his first stories ever, honestly. Ah, okay, because um, I really like his Every Ten Years Monster. That panel where the Every Ten Years Monster is coming out, and he looks like the Cyclops from mm-hmm. um, from the from the old not uh, Sinbad, but the Jason and the Argonauts stuff. You know, the stop motion <laughs> guy. He right. looks like that because he's got the big horn and he's got the big eyes and everything. It looks right. really cool. So I really, I was like, wow, this is not a uh, art that I have seen before in the pages of Legion. So I really kind of dug that. Yeah, and the thing that I really enjoy about it, I mean, part of it is the Bob Layton inks, uh, which makes it feel very much like the comics that I grew up seeing. But even though this is really early in his career, you can totally see that this guy's got it. I mean, it feels, parts of it feel like Neil Adams, parts of it feel like Dick Giordano. And, you know, maybe that's secret inking that we don't know about. But mm-hmm. even that last scene of Superboy going, hey, sure, you were caught and doing that big Jim Kirk pose with the arms. Yeah. It's really, really good. I like the art in this story. And even if you make fun of the tassels, you have to admit that shot of him flying in with the tassels going whoosh, that looks amazing. That's better um, for no, sure. The tassels are dumb. anatomy than even Grell has. Uh, the tassels are dumb. Just lose the tassels. The only reason, and so I want to, the only reason why I think the tassels are even on this character, uh, mm-hmm. and it's going to really be more apparent in our next issue, is we are really seeing the rise of the 70s and, mm-hmm. you know, the the art, the clothing style of the 70s starting to play a, a big role. And they have for the last probably year or so in the Legion comics, uh, yep. playing a big role in how the Legion present themselves. And conversely, also how every other character in the Legion comics present themselves as, you know, 3,000 years in the future disco dudes. And it doesn't really work. Disco comes back. It always comes back. If you enjoy the show, we would appreciate your support. You can find out more and become a Legion Clubhouse member at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Superboy number 223. We can't escape the trap in time. Published January 1977. Written by Jim Shooter with art by Mike Grell. Synopsis. The time trapper returns. But a greater threat hides in the shadows. All right. It is time for a time trapper story, which, you know, for Legion, for Legion uh, Clubhouse listeners, time trapper hasn't been around since 1968, almost a decade. Mm -hmm. Actually, I think it may be a little longer than that. It was Adventure 338, which I think was 65. Oh, 65. So even more over a decade. That people have seen the Time Trapper. So I'm wondering, so a couple of things. Uh, As we talk about how the the ages shift, the Time Trapper suddenly appearing 10 years after his last appearance should throw a lot of readers off. They should be going, who's this Time Trapper guy? How come we're not getting an origin of this Time Trapper? Why don't we know anything about the Time Trapper except go find out in Adventure Comics uh, 338, kids. And some kid's like, I don't even have a comic book store to go dig around in the back issue bin. Perhaps my uh, cousin uh, Jerry, who got shipped off to Vietnam, maybe he has a bunch of old comics from 10 years ago that I can pick up. I mean, this is a really weird, weird introduction to the Time Trapper 
for a quote unquote modern audience. Yeah, and I feel like even though you know it is important to note that Time Trapper did appear uh, in Action Comics, and actually, weirdly, issues of Action Comics that we have covered, mm-hmm. but not in the Legion story. Time Trapper was actually in the lead, the Superman stories that we didn't cover back in Action Three Eighty. Ah, so he's been around. Yeah, three eighty five, three eighty six, and three eighty seven. So he's been around the DCU. Uh, those stories, I think, were around nineteen seventy. And there is uh, a still six su- years, though. Yeah. A Super Friends issue, which comes around in 75 or 76, that actually has the Time Trapper in it. So I don't know if he's been completely out of the way, but it's interesting that the creators just bring him back and say, yep, the Time Trapper, you kids remember him. This is also around the beginning of the point where you're starting to see your first comic shops you're starting to see people mm-hmm. trading back issues the way that we naturally well, trade and collect them now and you know i i make i made fun earlier about oh how am i going to find a comic from 10 years ago there was in the back of a lot of these comics not not this issue uh but you know the advertisements that you could see you could buy your x-ray specs or you could go and and uh have a whole battalion of sea monkeys at your command there would also be ads for hey, you looking for a back issue, contact us for a catalog. And so there were people out there that were um, trading and trading. Yeah. And selling comics through the mail. So you could get those catalogs and do those things. So there is a chance you could have picked up an old uh, 11 year old comic if you were really dedicated to doing that in 1976. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. Time Trapper shows up and he grabs five of the Legion members that he tells them, I had to steal you out of space time because if I didn't, you would kill me. And I'm and and, and in all the dimensions and all the universes and all the worlds. Uh, I win only in those where you five are not present. Which is actually interesting when you look at the assembly of characters here. Uh, Superboy, of course, you can definitely see that. Uh, Saturn Girl and Chameleon Boy, you can definitely see that. Saturn Girl is a founder. Chameleon Boy is key to pretty much everything. Even Karate Kid, because Jim Shooter created him and well, loves him more than anything. I think there's another reason why Chameleon Boy is one of the five that he has to take care of. What is that? Um, You'll find out. Mm, stretchy, stretchy. But why is Sun Boy in here? Uh, because Superboy is not always around and uh, Sunboy takes his place. Sometimes you need a boy from the sun. Maybe. Or maybe it's because Sunboy's so hot. I'm going to ignore that you said that and <laughs> pretend that we said something else. But the Legionnaires have to break through the time barrier and realize, oh no, the time trapper's got us and he's given us our last meal. And he shows them the rest of the Legion dying. Right. Because they weren't around. An explosion that destroys much of the galaxy. No, not much of the galaxy. I'm pretty sure it said the whole galaxy. Because they're like parsecs away in another galaxy when he shows them this. Gone. Most of the Milky Way is gone. The Legion is dead. Yeah. Four days in their future. Yeah. That's depressing. Uh, I mean, it's one of those. Here is your sort of Damocles that hangs over your heroes if they don't act fast. And they do. They decide that they're going to take down the Time Trapper in um, in between space. They are outside of space time. Uh, but the Time Trapper is. And here's the interesting thing about this, which I know you think that this is a time travel story. 
Uh, mm-hmm. But this isn't really a time travel story. It's a multiverse story. Because what ends up happening is instead of rewinding time so that he can fight uh, the, these Legion members at the same time, he's actually fighting them across multiple dimensions. So he's taken Superboy and putting him into a dimension and, and uh, Saturn Girl and another Chameleon Boy, Sun Boy, all these, all these uh, characters in different dimensions. And he's just doing the exact same moves each time. Uh, he's not jumping backwards and forwards in time. Everything is happening simultaneously, but in all of these different timeline or multiverses that's going on. Because that's the whole thing that he's talking about is, look, behold the multiverse. Behold all of these dimensions. And in different dimensions and different timelines, I am the winner. And and my only thought is, well, if there's a, a dimension or if there's a multiverse where you have won, why don't you just go over into that dimension? <laughs> that's why I think it's a time travel story. Or rather, a lack of time travel story. No, because, because they say something at the end. Five, yeah, go to the end because at the end of the issue, I don't have it here in front of me. Uh, but here, here at the end of the issue, they say something to the effect of, um, they that the universe that they saw was another dimension. The a universe that they saw, possible future. Yeah, a particular possible future. So, and I, Superboy is reading the article on time travel that Brainiac Five wrote to try uh, and understand. Okay, it. so I really have a problem with that with that panel. We can come back to that in a little bit. Go ahead and, and say what you were going to say. <laughs> So the five Legionnaires are all fighting him at the same time, but yes. because time doesn't exist, they're actually, it seems like they're phasing in and out of reality, but it's actually I think it's different parallel dimensions. time tracks. Yeah, I think it's different dimensions, yeah. Different, different multiverses, yeah. Same thing. Uh, no, and, not really. Yeah, it kind of is. Well, first of all, this is all, you know, made up theoretical physics. Time travel doesn't really exist. And when we have these arguments about how time travel doesn't work that way, time travel doesn't really exist. So I can agree with you. No, that I'm it talking about necessarily... I'm talking about the multiverse and how the multiverse works. Okay, I'm just saying that's also made up. Um, uh, no, yeah. no, it's not. You you might want to go look at some uh, some quantum some quantum uh, physics and mechanics and stuff, and you'll find out about the multiverse. Mm-hmm. And it's all theoretical, and more importantly. Regardless of whether it's another dimension or another timeline, the Time Trapper beats the snot out of the five Legionnaires. He does. He knocks them down, he slaps them around, and then he traps Superboy in front of a door behind which is a red sun somehow, I guess. No, it's a doorway to the core of a red sun. (laughs) It's a door into the sun! I love it. Yeah, I mean, you've got the the, the TARDIS, right? The TARDIS can suddenly appear and you can open up that door and it, it takes you someplace else. But it doesn't take you into a sun. It could. I don't know. It really could. Okay. So anyway, but... the secret the secret to destroying the Time Trapper is punch his belt. Punches, punches a little, cl- his, uh, his uh, sand, what is it, what are those things called? His hourglass. Yeah, yeah, you gotta punch him, punch him right there in his hourglass belt and that'll save the day and then they pop back into their own reality and then they're able to save the universe uh, four days later. Theoretically. We don't actually ever see them save the universe four days later. We just presume that the story is telling us the truth. But as it ends, the Legionnaires think that the Time Trapper is dead. I'm going to tell you right now, no spoilers, he's not dead. We're uh, really passing over something that's even more important than the Time Trapper in this issue. The fact that somehow somebody has the ability to view what's going on in a weird timeless limbo? Yeah. Yeah. 
That is we weird. get introduced to the disco villains of the future, Stargrave, <laughs> Quicksand, and Holder. Pulsar Stargrave. Oh, yeah. So He is somehow watching. Now, when I first read this issue, and this was many years ago, I thought that the Time Trapper worked for Pulsar Stargrave. But in this issue, it seems that Pulsar Stargrave is just watching the Time Trapper and maybe somehow manipulating the Legion and the Time Trapper into fighting one another. No, no, no. That's not what I got. I, the way that I took it is, here are these three guys watching the Time Trapper to see if he's worthy to be part of their team. Mm. And that's why they're watching him. Because then you have uh, you have uh, Holder there going, <laughs> yes, Master, see how well you said that he would do? And then uh, Quicksand is over there going, look, everybody, I get a three-quarter page dedicated to people looking at my butt. <laughs> yeah, her costume isn't quite mm. as uh, sex slavey as Karma's, but I am serious. There is, there is a non-panel. There is like three-quarters of a page yep. where it's got Stargrave in the foreground, uh, then Holder right next to him, and all you see is their heads, and then tons of white space, and then you get a full body shot of quicksand from behind, turning and looking at everybody so that you can see you can see her behind. And it's just like, yeah. wow, that's really weird to do that. Uh, but I guess, you know, at 76, you got to draw the kids in somehow. Why not draw them in with some, uh, with some alien behind? Mm, yeah. Yeah. So, but this is important because... You know, we talk about foreshadowing is the key to quality literature, Matthew. That's true. This is an important literary technique. And this is important because Stargrave, Quicksand, and Holder are going to start appearing in some upcoming issues as some bad guys. So we're laying the groundwork. Jim Shooter is laying the groundwork for, hey, here are some bad guys being introduced here. They're kind of weird. They're kind of mysterious. But mm -hmm. in an issue or two from now, they're going to spring forth and go, ha ha. Look at us in our disco attire. Let's get down and boogie, oogie, oogie. It should, however, be noted that the first appearance of Pulsar Stargrave also contains the seeds of Shooter's exit from the Legion of Superheroes. Oh, yeah, and why is that? Mm, next issue, we'll get there. Okay. But suffice to say that all of this important foreshadowing maybe doesn't go the way that they planned. Well, I guess we'll find out in the uh, in the next installment. Overall, I, I found the Time Trapper. I enjoyed the Time Trapper as a villain. I do mm -hmm. enjoy him as a villain. I found his uh, multiverse time travel out of the multiverse hijinks to really stretch the believability or the um, I really think that this stretches the suspension of disbelief in this entire story. I, I really do. I mean, it, it really called into a lot of stuff, including that last panel where Superboy is going through the Legion manual and going, well, I'm reading up about quantum mechanics and uh, the multiverse in this whole chapter about time travel that Brainiac five wrote. <laughs> now you would think when you start a job, they make you go through that manual. And they say, hey, make sure you read the manual, make sure you understand everything that's in here, cover company policies, time travel, you know, uh, what you can and can't do with your future Donna Troy lookalike wife. <laughs> uh, and for somehow Superboy has totally skipped reading the Legion of Clubhouse, the Legion of Superheroes manual. Yeah, and it's something that's very important that this issue actually calls out 
that Superboy has that perfect photographic memory mm-hmm. and remembers literally everything. So it can't even be a question of, oh, he forgot. Superboy literally did not read the chapter on yeah. time travel in the Legion manual. So, and I think that that's kind of, you know, that's kind of a problem for him. I, I guess really it, I guess it, it is because he usually does his homework. But I wonder, I have to wonder, uh, mm-hmm. we did a few episodes ago, we did the uh, current version of Legion of Superheroes, the Brian Michael Bendis version. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it was the first five issues we were talking about. What's interesting in those first five issues is every issue, every Legionnaire is going up to um, to Superboy and saying, have you read the manual? Have you read the manual? Have you read the manual? <laughs> and I can't can't help but wonder if that's somehow a callback to this point where it's clear that Superboy has not read the manual. I don't know that it is, but it's kind of a neat uh, sort of thing to present, even if it was. Yeah. Yeah. That wraps it up for this installment of the Legion Clubhouse. Matthew, what did we learn this week? I think we learned that time travel and multiversal excursions really look like the same thing, depending on how you read the book. I think we've also learned that foreshadowing is the key to quality literature. And we learned that this issue is where it changes from Superboy starring the Legion to Superboy and the Legion, which is completely unimportant, perhaps not. We'll find out what that means in a future Legion Clubhouse installment. But in the meantime, thank you, everybody, for joining us. We certainly appreciate every single one of you who listens to our show week after week and month after month and year after year. I can't believe we've been doing this for almost three years now, maybe even more than three years now. Time goes by so quickly. We must be trapped in one of those time trapper uh, paradoxes. Time the trapper keeper. Yes, we are in the trapper keeper. So until next time, I am the time master. And I'm the trapper keeper. The Legion Clubhouse is a production of Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC, and is produced by Stephen Schleicher. Your hosts were Matthew Peterson and Stephen Schleicher. You can follow Matthew at Mighty King Cobra and Stephen at Major Spoilers. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at Legion Clubhouse. If you have questions or comments, send them to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. I'm Jason Inman. Until next time, eat it, Grandpa. This podcast is copyright 2020 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.